Praise God. Um, you know, we, we love hearing stories of, of how God is working in real people's lives. And uh, I know a lot of us have, have similar things in our lives. And um, Rob, Rob's a humble guy, so he doesn't mention he's also uh, one. He's been, yeah, God's been doing a crazy work in his life in a good way, obviously. And he's one of our interns being trained in ministry right now at the church, one of our pastoral interns. So God, God's doing some good stuff. Amen. Um, you know, as we think about the nature of life, obviously, Easter Sunday, uh, it allows us to give us a chance to think about that more. And I shared a story, and you're going to think I'm crazy as I share it, but stay with me. But when I was little, we had a hamster in our house. We had, I don't, I don't really like animals. I don't know, but I guess you just supposed to have pets, right? So we had hamster. His name was Harry. And Harry, you think that um, animals are going to live for a long time. This, this hamster didn't really live all that long. Harry, um, eventually one morning he went kaput. So he, we woke up and he's on his back and like doing that rigor mortis thing. We're like, oh, no, this is, and we're sad. And my brother and I, we went off to school heartbroken that our little pet ha- uh, hamster Harry had died. And we came home and we were living with my grandmother at the time. She's really into like um, just... Uh, Asian kind of medical stuff like massage and like uh, acupuncture and she no joke we walked in the house after school she had a little hairy on his back like this she was massaging his chest his little hairy uh hairy hairy chest right his hamster chest massaging him and we're like oh this is just too weird this is strange you would you wouldn't believe it he came back to life like seriously, and and sometimes I think because I have an active imagination, I'm like, man, did, did that really happen? I talk to my brother, and he's like, yeah, you remember that too? It's not just me. Um, I mean, he didn't live that much longer after that. It was just a little bit more, and like he was kind of disoriented to begin with, but but he came back to life. So I, I don't share this to just let you know how insane I am, but it's you 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 start to think that that's kind of a normal thing of life. You know, bad stuff happens, boom, it can it can it can happen again. It can come back, but. Um, we all learn, right, that some in, in this world, as things happen, often, especially bad things, as they progress, there's no coming back from it. And it's a lesson you learn earlier on, and, and you harden yourself. Um, they need to write better books for parents, because all the books about for parents now are like how to discipline your kids and how to have mature kids who listen to authority and know how to clean up. I mean, I guess that's important, but they need to have like practical stuff. Like the first time you give a balloon to your kid, you need to make sure you wrap it around their hand many, many times and tell them to hold on and not let go, because that's the important stuff. Because if you've ever given a kid a balloon and they don't know what a balloon is, first time they hold it, they look at it. They let go, and it goes flying into the sky, and blah, and, and, and there's no coming back from that, right? And the kids are like, balloon, give me back balloon. And you're like, it's gone. Some pigeon's going to eat it somewhere. It's gone, right? Um, and, and kids learn early on, there's certain things that are irreversible. It happens, and there's no coming back from it. And it gets a little bit more serious from there. For, and so maybe some of you have experienced these things, like, you know, you take certain tests or exams, and... You don't do as well as you thought. And you're like, man, I, I, can, I, can I do that over? You're like, sorry, you're done. There's no coming back from it. Or perhaps you lose a job or you get fired or something happens. And you think, man, can I just have another chance? I didn't mean to fall asleep. I didn't mean to miss. I didn't, mean, I didn't know that I needed to do that. And, and, and it's like, sorry, it, the, the chance is gone. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken, uh, whether a friend or a romantic relationship or a familial relationship. And things get to a point where there's no coming back from it as much as you you would want to. Maybe it's bad financial decisions you've made. Maybe you've invested in some bad things. Maybe you've spent money poorly. And you're like, man, if I could just go back and change it and get back. And and you realize the damage has been done. It's gone a certain way. And I I think the natural extent of this thought is sometimes we experience it in just losing loved ones. And we just talked about that in our church, right? You, You lose loved ones. 
And as much as you want to bring that back, you realize there's a certain point that's lost and, and it's gone on. And there's no coming back. So you're like, man, I came to Easter Sunday for like some pep talk and to get through my weekend. You're just bringing me down, man. You stink, dude. Get another job. Um, it gets better. Because in a world like this, that, that we experience loss, that we experience things going and not coming back, in a world like that, what does it mean that Jesus rose from the grave? So we want to look at that really um, in a little bit here. So we're going to look at the book of chapter Mark. Uh, it's up on the screen, or you can pick up the Bible if you want in the Bibles. It's page 728, but uh, up on the screen, Mark chapter 16, starting verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And these women, they didn't have any knowledge of the situation as we do now. Because I'm guessing uh, if, if you've been in church before, you come on Easter because, yeah, you know, that's the day we come and celebrate because Jesus, though he died, he rose from the grave. So we sing peppy songs and we get excited. We remember that there is hope and brokenness. They were not going in anticipation of anything great or beautiful. Um, they were going to honor the dead. It says here that they were taking spices to which uh, to anoint him. They were expecting a big stone, and if you pulled it away, they were expecting a dead body, and they were going to memorialize him, to take care of him, as was the custom. And I'm guessing for them, this is just probably one of those really hard times in life where um, these women, and if you read their history, they've gone through so much, but then they met this Jesus in their life, and he has been amazing, and he's met them when they were at their lowest, and he's uh, um, welcomed them to join him in this journey, and they've come to love him. Imagine walking with Jesus, being able to talk with him, hearing his voice, eating food together with him every day. This was their life. And as he was teaching about the kingdom, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, it's happening. He's the Messiah, and we're with him. And he's our friend. He's our teacher, our Messiah. Things are going to be different now. But then they've experienced what you and I experienced. Things always seem to be the same. They put all their hope in him that he died. He promised that things would be different now, that he came, but he died. And, you know, so they expected nothing. So no wonder that they were totally shocked when they got there and they find that the stones rolled away, that the tomb is empty. And it doesn't seem like, you know, as, as we were saying before, it doesn't seem that their first thought was, he is risen. They're probably like, who took the body? You know, they, they're not like excited that he had risen, even though it's funny because he seems to have told his disciples over and over, hey, guys, in a little while, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to rise from the grave, but I want you to know this. This is this is my will. Even though he said that, they still didn't seem to believe when it actually happened. But he died, and he's risen from the grave, but they don't know that. They're like, who stole his body? It says they're alarmed. Verse, verse 8 says there's astonishment and trembling. They were afraid. They're freaked out. Because like you and me, they live in a world where stuff like this just doesn't happen. They're like you and me in a world where bad stuff happens, sometimes tragic stuff happens, and you just move on because things don't go backwards. 
But what the resurrection showed, and this is why the resurrection is amazing, it held out this awesome promise that nothing, not even death, was final. That, that even death could be reversed, and that's the glorious hope that we celebrate on these Easter Sundays and every Sunday. So, so that's all great, but I want, I want to look at a small detail. In the midst of all that, this one detail that it's easy to overlook, even if you've read this story many times, but look again at the passage. You see these first five verses again, the women's response to the empty tomb. It's beautiful. Um, the f- beautiful phrase spoken by the angel, he is risen. He is not here. But, but move on from there and look in verse 7. It says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. I mean, did you catch it? It's... Go tell his disciples and Peter. Uh, and, and maybe I'll paraphrase it for a second. It's like, almost like, you know, don't stay here. Go tell his disciples. And kind of waiting a little bit. And tell Peter too. Make sure Peter knows. You're like, why, why you keep going on like that? Why are you getting all excited about and Peter? Um, look, at, look with me. Turn back a little bit to Mark 14, starting verse six, uh, 66. And this is probably one of the last interactions Jesus had with Jesus. It says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And man, so knowing that story, just a few days earlier, think about the significance of those two little words in Mark 16, and Peter. It's almost like all of heaven, like when Peter, like they're watching, and Peter, every time he's given the chance, you know him, don't you? I do not know him. Ooh, Peter, no. Like all the angels are gathered around watching. Oh, Peter, no, 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 that's not the right answer. You were with him. You're a galleon. No, I do not. Oh, Peter, no, no. And, and, and they're just like crushed, right? Peter's, I mean, Peter's crushed. They're watching this, but it's almost like with the resurrection, they're all gathered around watching now, and they're thinking, it's going to happen. Watch. It's going to happen. And Peter, yes, go tell him. Go tell him. He didn't mess the whole thing up. Go tell him there's another chance here. Go tell him he hasn't just destroyed his life, that God is still faithful. He's still with him. He still wants him. It's significant. Tell him that this one failure, as big as it seemed at the time, and I don't know if you've had instances where you just go back and regret thinking about last opportunities you've had with someone and it wasn't the way it should have been and you're thinking oh um, I'm guessing it probably wasn't worse than um, saying that you didn't know the savior of the world and rejecting him isn't that incredible I mean I think it's pretty amazing because again we don't live in a world where there's a lot of second chances you know it's like again this is none of you of course because you're all perfect but there's you know I hear stories of kids that don't make the team you know, really wanting to be, they don't make the team, and, and there's no second chance. It's, you know, the dude who gets fired from work, n- not a second chance. It's, it's the mother of three who gets traded in for a newer model. There's no coming back from certain things that happen. And 
um, our world is just not set up to be a place to affirm you. Our world actually does a really good job of reminding you of how, fall, how, how much you fall short of what you think you should be, whether in relationships or work, success, image, whatever it might be. Our world does a tremendous job of helping to remind you of what a failure you feel you are. And I mean, and I hope this doesn't, it's not a sore spot, but when you talk to like 18 year olds, there's often so much hope. You know, you talk to 18-year-olds, and you're like, man, what are you going to do with your life? They're like, yes, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be in the NFL. And really? You're like five foot three. You're seriously going to be in the Anyway, you know, every hope is possible at the time, right? It's like the world is ahead of you. I'm going to do so much. One of the most um, sobering things is to talk to someone about 10 years after that and say, How'd, how's your life going? And most people, even if you've succeeded, whatever that looks like, they're like, it, it didn't go the way I thought it would go. I've even done everything I was supposed to do, but there's something lacking. It falls short. And, may, and maybe that's some of us. Maybe the world has reminded you that you haven't achieved like you thought you would. Um, perhaps your relationships and your family have not gone the way that you thought they would. Perhaps you've let people down. Maybe people have let you down. Maybe your life has a string of broken uh, relationships with people. Maybe it's the ways that your self-destructive habits um, haven't changed like you keep telling yourself they would. As long as you just devote yourself more, things haven't really changed, and, and, and it continues to eat at you inside. And, you know, when you look back on your life, and maybe even right now, and you can easily list off all the mistakes you've made, and you can get crippled with regret and with guilt and with shame and, and often the cry of our heart, man, if I could just have another chance, if I could just have a do-over, if I could just go back and make it right, if I could just go back to that person, really let them know how I feel, if I could just go back to the job and just work a little harder, if I could go just take care of that habit before I knew it would crush my family, if I could just take care of it and we want a do-over. But we get crushed with recognition that often there are no such things as reversing and doing over. But here's the thing. Here's why the resurrection is such a crazy story of hope. Because the resurrection boldly tells us there is a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And as many chances that you need to continue to respond to the mercy and grace of Jesus and keep coming back to him. That things can be reversed. I mean, ask Peter. Imagine how he's feeling that the last memory he has of Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't even know the guy. And it says in the, another translation, Jesus turned and looked at him. Imagine that. Right? I mean, imagine that. We don't have to Jesus. Oh, yeah, we got the Jesus face on. Imagine Jesus face looking at you. Oh, Peter. Imagine that's the last memory you have. And then to hear from these women racing to you, probably their hearts beating because they've been running so fast trying to get to you. He's like, Peter. Peter, Jesus, he's alive, and he mentioned your name. Can you believe it? I know you're such a screw, Peter. Why do you say the things you do? But he still, he mentioned your name. He wants you. Imagine how Peter is feeling that he has not ruined his life. It is not beyond repair that he gets another chance. And here's the beautiful thing. It ends up transforming his life because this guy who at one point was just so scared of little girls around him, so scared of admitting he knew Jesus, 
just a little bit farther down the road, he becomes this bold preacher of God who's preaching to thousands, cutting to say, you are the ones that killed Jesus. Repent and believe in him and thousands coming to know Christ. It transforms his life. And I would suggest if this understanding of Jesus transforms his life, it also has application for us here. Because I'm guessing, again, I mean, you're also pretty and good looking here. I'm guessing none of you have any problems. I got problems. I don't know if you got problems. Um, But I'm guessing a few of you, maybe a couple of you here, as I'm talking about the ways you failed, human nature, it's rolling around in your mind. You're thinking, man, I came here for like an uppity, like feel good Easter service with flowers and stuff. And, and man, and chicks and little eggs and stuff. And this guy just talking, bringing me down, talking about failure. What a jerk, you know. Um, but maybe that's some of us here, right? You're just crippled by shame and guilt in your life. Sometimes you can't escape the voices in your head telling you how, how much you've fallen short as a father, as a worker, as a daughter, as a wife, as a Christian, how you fall short. Some of you, it might be you know what God is telling you to do, and you feel like you've just let him down. You know his word, you know his commandments, you feel like you are just dropping the ball. For some of you, maybe it has nothing to do with God at all, but um, you've seen how the choices you've made in your life have led you to a bad place, and you just live with deep regret. And and maybe some of us, you've actually done everything you thought you were supposed to. You've obeyed. You've lived the life you thought you were supposed to live. Yet you look at yourself and you're like, but something is still lacking. Something's missing. And and part of that is why, um, again, if this is your first time at the village, again, really glad to have you here. But I'm guessing for, for some of us, the reason why we don't like going to places like church is we're like, man, churches just tell, make me feel so miserable about how bad I am because they just keep telling me, be like this, be like this, do this, do this, better, be, be better like that, be better. And I, I feel horrible about myself already. Why do I need a church to tell me that? Why do I need that? And that's maybe why you've shied away because you don't just need another way to feel worse about how you're not measuring up. So, I mean, when I talk to people on the street here, you know, inviting them to, you know, f- learn who Jesus is or maybe even come to, come to worship sometime, and I'll hear stuff like this. You know, people genuinely in- interested in God will say stuff like, you know, I'm going to be at church as, right, right after I get a few things straight in my life. Ooh, man, I, re- I really love Jesus. I want to be there. I w- but I got some stuff I need to straighten up before I go there. Um, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. I hear that one a lot. If I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but what I often say is, I guess I'm never going to be seeing you at church then, man. Because the reality, being a Christian is not about fixing myself so that God will accept me. Being a Christian is about not trying to work harder and repair myself and get myself in a better state so that somehow God will say, okay, little Johnny, you've finally gotten yourself cleaned up. You've gotten rid of those habits. You're, You're looking better. Okay, come on in. Be my child now. Being a Christian It's believing I actually don't have the power to fix myself. I am utterly helpless. I mean, I know I look good on the outside, and I know, you know, speaking for a first-hand I know I look good on the outside and all put together and super Christian, and people just, like, they're in awe, and they fall over when I walk by because of the glow that comes from God's spirit on me. I know I look like that, but I am utterly powerless to fix myself, and we run crying out for the mercy of God. Saying, God, I am not able to be the person that I would like to be. I need your help desperately. 
so that he can fix us. And I, I want to make sure we understand. I'm not saying that when we say that Jesus can reverse things, this message of the resurrection, I'm not saying that it, all the hurt and the pain and the consequences perhaps of our disobedience are, are just magically go away. And that's why another person, sometimes people get burned by churches, right? Because they come at like on an Easter service like this, and you got a really like um, cool preacher tells you, you know what, just trust in Jesus, and he'll take away all your problems, all the way reasons you've been depressed and sad and hurt. You're not going to feel it anymore because Jesus takes it all away. And you're like, woohoo! And you're singing the songs, and you're like, I praise Jesus. I love this Jesus. And there's only one problem because you go back to life after that. <laughs> They're like, okay, that preacher lied to me because he said everything was going to be good now, but I still got my problems. <laughs> These things are still hard. My family's still kind of jacked up. I'm still poor. I'm still hungry. I still struggle with my addictions. I'm still selfish. What's going on here? Um, we want to keep it real, right? And hopefully I don't offend anyone here, but some of us might have really screwed things up in our life. <laughs> Yeah, I know you're not supposed to say things like that on Easter. I should probably say stuff like, you know what? I know your life has been hard, but it'll all be okay. Um, the truth is, that's not reality, right? Because you, the problem is, I can tell you that all, all and you can hear it all day. The reality is, you've got to live with yourself. Someone can tell you all day, yeah, everything will be fine, but you know yourself, and you know that you have the same things and same problems, and the Bible would actually agree with you and say that's the truth for all of us. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Christian faith is not about ignoring all of our pain. It's not about ignoring all of our dysfunction. It's not about ignoring all of the hurtful things even that we have caused. It's not about ignoring all of that. The good news of Jesus is that we can actually finally be honest about how we fall short. We are actually free to be honest with all the ways that we have not lived up to the way we should be. Because Jesus pays the price completely for that when he died on the cross. He fully took all of that pain, all of that shame, all of the sin, all of the guilt, fully upon his own being on the cross. And that's why we say, Jesus, thank you for the cross. That there was a significant cost to our broken lives. But the good news is, and Jesus is so generous. He is so generous, and he paid that cost fully through the sacrifice of his own life. So, guys, in a world where we, maybe I'll use first person just because I don't want to label you, but in a world where I fail, you know, I want to hear a call. In a world where I fail, um, where, where I make mistakes, um, where I do dumb things, sometimes really, really dumb things, where, where we are just crushed by our guilt, by our shame. For some of us, shame's like an ugly older brother that's just walking with us all the time. Here's the good news. We can stop pretending. We can stop pretending that everything's okay, and we can actually own our failure because we know that in Christ, our failure no longer has power to condemn us. Amen? In Christ, your failures, all the things that you wish you could take back, they no longer have the power to condemn you, to mock you. That our failure no longer defines us, but in Christ, Jesus defines us. And, and that even, you know, for those who trust in Jesus, even the death of our mortal bodies is not final. You see that in Jesus, right? In Christ, even the breaking down 
and the deterioration of these things that we call our flesh, even that is not final. Because Jesus conquered the curse of death, he promises eternal life to those who would trust in him. And the resurrection, man, it's God's emphatic statement that as much as our experience seems to say otherwise, as much as your life, you're saying, yeah, preacher, you talk a good game, but you don't know my life. Oh, you talk a good game. You don't know the pain that I've gone through. You don't know the depression that just seems to cripple my mind. You don't know the addictions that feel stronger than the will I have. You don't know the jacked up family I came from that was dysfunctional. I'm still bearing the brunt of that. You don't know the ways I've been abused and hurt. You don't know all this. You know all the ways my heart's been crushed by people. You don't know the ways that religion and the church have harmed me. The resurrection is God's emphatic statement that as much as your experience, as real as it feels and is, seems to say otherwise, God wins. As much as everything seems to give you empirical evidence that he doesn't, God wins. He's in control. And we read earlier where it says, tell the disciples and Peter. Can I welcome you to imagine your name there? Imagine saying, and tell the disciples and Peter and your name that God still wants you. Whatever you're coming from, how hard your life has been, how, I know some of us, I've I've actually had a woman share this with me before. The first time she came into church, she told me, I was surprised that I walked in and a column didn't come down and fall on my head. And she was totally dead serious. She was not joking or speaking hyperbole. The life she had lived, she was shocked that she could walk into God's presence in the church and not have the building collapse on her. And I said, welcome to grace. Welcome to mercy. And it's the same message for all of us. So whatever you are coming from, maybe you have felt with your life, and maybe it's not even external, maybe it's internal, the things you wrestle with. Maybe you thought God would have no interest in someone like me. The resurrection shows me he actually does. He, he really does. And there are no um, lack of chances for you to respond to his message. So I want to welcome you to that. Um, you've, you have the connection cards in your bulletin. I would encourage you to fill that out. And, and all of us, you know, how God is responding in your life, how you want to respond to his message. Maybe for some of you, you need to release some of this guilt and shame and live in power of the resurrection. Maybe for some of you, your response is for the first time to say, you know what, I've, I've, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to live the life. I've even gone to church. But, man, what you seem to be saying today is it's not just about trying to be a good person or trying to be a religious person or follow rules. It's about saying, I can't help myself. I need, a, I need help. I need a Savior. Sign me up. I would encourage you, if that's you, let us know. Say you want to find out more about Jesus or you want to follow him. We would love to talk with you about that. Because um, one thing I continually never get shocked at at our church is how far God will go to bring back those who've run from him. All the way to this thing called a cross. But it doesn't end at the cross. He conquers that sin and death and he rises again. And shows us no matter the pit we're in, God will always bring us out of it in beauty. So I would encourage you, fill out these cards, pray right now. And um, I I would also encourage, uh, as a final thing here, um, particularly if if you're not part of a church or you're seeking out churches, maybe you're here for the first time. Again, we're glad you're here. I want to encourage you, the things we're talking about here, they're meant to be lived out together with other people. 
Because you can hear a great message or sing these songs and you can go home and say, yeah, that's really inspiring. The reality is if you try to do it alone, those voices will still haunt you. You will still haunt yourself. You need others around you to kind of look at each other and say, hey, you screwing up too? Yeah, this guy as well. Praise God for grace. Praise God for Jesus. Let's worship him together because we need him. And that's why we need community, not to tell each other how good we are, to actually remind us how much we need Jesus in our lives. Amen? So I would encourage you, if you're not part of a church, we'd love to have you uh, discover this community, get to meet us a little bit, and see how God wants to meet you in that. But close your eyes with me, and we're going we're gonna to enter some time of singing and responding. And as you're sitting there, again, I'm thinking of a room this big. There's a lot of different stories and experiences here. I don't know about you. I don't know how you look at me. Um, You're guessing pastor. Wow, that guy must never struggle or sin. Sometimes I am utterly shocked at my daily ability to deny God. Maybe not with my mouth, but with my actions, with my lack of belief. Um, Sometimes I astound myself at my lack of faith. (laughs) But... The grace of God continually astounds me even more that as much as I would deny God, as much as I would seek other gods, as much as I would seek other ways, as much as I would stop trusting him, he still wants me, still desires me, still welcomes me back and says, hey, buddy, there's another chance. That's what grace is. That's what mercy is. And I would invite you into that. Uh, We have the table up front. I'm going to encourage you after you take some time to pray and sing, come up here, receive the communion if you're a Christian. Take a piece of the bread in the middle there and dip, dip, dip it in one of the two cups on either side. Come up from both aisles. And if you're a Christian, remember the great love that Jesus has for you, that nothing is final. Nothing is final except for his love. And there's always another chance. Don't feel you've made a, too many chances to come back to him. Some of you, you're wrestling right now saying, I don't want to do that again because I've made commitments that I'm going to follow God and I've fallen short. You know what? That's part of the Christian journey. Continue to make those commitments and trust in him little by little and let his grace move in your life. If you're not a Christian, again, I would invite you to receive this life today. That Jesus is not just about a new leaf, it's about a new life. It's not just about trying a different thing, it's about trying a whole new life. Receive that today. Experience freedom that comes with knowing God's love in your life. So whenever you have to pray, feel free to be singing, come up either ways. Uh, You can come up individually or in groups or families or however you want. But let's just meet with God during this time and let him speak to us. So take some time to pray, especially if if you've been feeling far from God. Let him remind you that he draws you close to him.